and I are in the same place, in the very same room. Yay, on the same love seat. Yes, couch, as it were. <laughs> you know, it's a cozy one. It is, it is. It actually opens up to a bed, but it's an uncomfortable bed, so we try and not make anybody stay on it. But you've had to. I know this thing about yes, the bed. You know I wasn't going to say anything. You're like, uh. <laughs> Couch beds usually do stink, you know? I mean, anytime you have to fold a mattress, it's just a bad idea. Oh, gratefully, it doesn't literally stink. Yes. But, yeah, it's true. The mattresses have a hard time being comfortable. Yeah. Firm. Yeah, so we've been working with our teacher, and we've been talking a lot about innervation. Which is a word I was saying to Lisa the other day. I was like, when I first heard our teacher say it in her very thick Russian accent, I, I thought she was just mispronouncing a word that is much more common, like innervate. I mean, like, like to, well, I guess that's the same thing, right? Like innervation, like, but innervation in the sense of like, like to be innovative, innovation. That's what I thought she was saying. I thought she was saying, you have to be innovative. And I was like trying to think like out the box. I was like, okay, I've got to be innovative. What does that mean with my voice? Rachel, you must innovate. Yes, exactly. And then, but then she said, no, innervation, like nerves. She said, tiny nerves. And I'm like, nerves? Like the football? I don't understand. So I was very confused. <laughs> Nerves. Yeah. But then um but then she did explain it. And yeah. you know, and, and I I mean, to be fair, I'm still somewhat confused, but only because I don't have a science background. And I don't have you know, I mean I took I took A P um like Gosh, and I can't even remember the name of the class. AP Bio? No, that's not it. There's no way I took AP Bio. I took um, Human Anatomy and Physiology in high school and learned all about the body and really loved that class. But, um, yeah, I don't know. What, what... Yeah, what have, what have been my experiences so far with innovation? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting because I, I had occasion to be in an ENT's office. Not for myself. I was with a friend. Hmm. Uh, I go like every three months. <laughs> I never go. <laughs> but he had some really cool uh, posters on the walls. And um, I decided at that point that I was going to go to the library. And I was just going to... I was going to check out everything about the face. And I was talking to my cousin about it because she's a... Pilates instructor and she has a very good understanding of the human body but I feel like while all doctors have um, they have to study the nervous system as part of their their general education uh, to be an MD but I'm not sure I'm not sure exactly how in-depth they get with it especially when it comes to things like facial nerves hmm I would imagine I know that there are um, 
physical therapists who work with... Um, I would imagine reconstructive surgeons probably know a lot about it. I don't know if the surgeons... I mean, well, of course, if they're going to be cutting in there and mm-hmm. going to need to, like, not sever nerves and stuff. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they, they have uh, this uh, neuro the physical therapy where people retrain. I don't know. There's a, there's a lot... There's a lot going on with the nerves in the body that I had never considered before mm-hmm. these voice lessons. And I, and I actually, after, you know, having had 25 years of voice lessons before starting with this teacher, I figured that, uh, I mean, I, I was hoping there was something more that, to know that I had been missing maybe for all those years, but I never would have guessed that it would be nerves and innovating. And not being nervous. Because, you know, we know a lot. Does it come? I mean, it comes from the same root, yeah? Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. And and sure enough, this is actually, this is such fascinating stuff. So so if, you, if your nerves get the better of you, you're tense, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And tension, we know, is the worst enemy of the singer. Mm-hmm. Tension, and it's, it triggers a... Well, ill-placed tension, right? A sympathetic response, meaning... The sympathetic nervous system is sort of on guard. That's the fight or flight. Right. Um, is there another one too? Fight, flight, or something. Anyway, I thought there was another one. But anyway, she actually started out my lesson yesterday talking about um, how balance comes first. So, so the coordination of the vocal me- mechanism must be balanced in order for the nerves to get the signal to sort of stand down relax, rest and digest, the parasympath- parasympathetic response. Um, and that's when the singing can be beautiful. That's when the, mu- when the magic happens because the nerves were innervating um, to find the space that exists on such a tiny microscopic level mm. within, uh, within our, our little muscle fibers and our, even our skin. And sort of this this decision to to allow all the different parts of the vocal mechanism to act independent of one another. Hmm. Whereas in the sympathetic response, that fight or flight where there's tension... Everything just kind of like, it becomes um, stiff. Yeah. Everything becomes, you know... It's like locked. Unresponsive, yeah. It becomes locked. Yeah. yeah. And, and things become gluid. 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 Gluid together. Yes. <laughs> so... A perfect example of this is like the jaw. Many yeah. people, yeah. Um, including my former self, my former. I'm getting better every day. I'm recovering uh, in recovery from the I'm use of the jaw. <laughs> I'm a recovering jaw user. Yes, but <laughs> as the uh, as the high notes, as the notes ascend up the scale, the jaw becomes more and more active and clenched, as it were, and mm. then everything, sort of the tongue and the, and the larynx. The, the whole, all the cartilage there just becomes sort of frozen together. Yeah, I think my first experience, once I realized what she was saying, um, I started to pay more attention to where she was pointing. Like, she would point to my throat and show, like, from the bottom of the jaw down to my neck bone, like, down to my neck, like, the nape of my neck, um, where your, I think it's your sternocleidomastoid, I think it's uh-huh. that, that you know, the longest muscle in your body, right? As that goes sort of diagonally across your neck, that whole section on me 
was turning pink without touching it. Oh. Yeah, it was fascinating. And and she said that that's the innervation. Did it hurt? Um, it felt like a tingling. Yeah, like a tingling, like a like when you do reps, you know, when you like do bicep curls or something, you know, for all seven times that I've ever done a bicep curl, like <laughs> um, like burn, like like fatigue? a little bit, like a not necessarily fatigue, but just like use, hmm. you know, yeah. And and it was unique. It was something that I hadn't you know really noticed before. And sort of there's that coupled with my the involuntary response of my lips, which are would shake like mine too. Oh my gosh! Like, when you're rounding them or all like, the time? Um, mine do it when I try to when round you try them. to round them. No, mine kind of do it almost all the time um, as they're becoming less um, involved. I guess. Huh. Like the process of turning and, and letting that's, go, and then yeah, exactly, letting go, and then they're like, "I can't do it. I just don't know if I can do it." Shake, rattle, Must and roll. Hold on to something, but um, yeah, I I've been thinking about, you know, how all these you know fit in, and and there's all kinds of psychology that goes into it, and people talk about, yeah, you have to be relaxed, or you have to be engaged, or you have to be blah 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 blah. But I, I, I want to go back to what you're saying about balance and mm. the balance of the voice and why when you hear certain voices, you're like, that voice is gorgeous and I could listen to it all day long. And it's because that voice likely is balanced. Um, and, you know, I don't know that we feel that way about... I don't know if we feel that way about non-classical singers. Maybe some folk singers, because they're singing often in a register that is a little bit less complicated to balance. Mm. Um, I don't feel that way personally about like belting, um, or which is you know more common in certain kinds of you know in terms of music. You know whether it's musical theater or R and B or or like pop. <clears throat> Um, but, but when you hear a classical singer whose voice is balanced, you know, the comment that you hear most often is I could just listen to that all day. Mm. Um, because it, everything is quiet except the things that need to be uh, voiced, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think one example of a music theater singer who has an amazingly balanced voice is Barbara Cook. Are you mm. familiar with this voice? Sure, yeah. No, Miss Horn used to talk about her all the time. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, because they were good friends. And Barbara really? Cook, mm-hmm, Barbara Cook's, you know, I think she only just very recently retired. She's like 80-something. Like, she yeah. was concertizing. Oh, yeah. Right? For a, for a really long time. Oh, yeah. I'm not familiar enough with her actual voice. I just know of her and her sort of amazingness. We'll have to listen to her um, after. Yeah. Because I would love to... to uh, we could also insert a little of her your... while as we're talking about her right here. That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. So Barbara Cook, insert amazing excerpt now. <laughs> I think <laughs> if we had to choose one amazing excerpt, uh-huh. the one I would say is her Kunagonda. Oh, really? Yeah. But the thing is, okay, so the For reason... what year? Oh gosh, I don't know. She, I mean, she's probably she's... in the '60s, I would imagine. Yeah, but even though Maybe she was, but you know what? Though here's the thing: Kronogonda is not really a musical theater. Um, right. That's not a it's musical opera. theater role. But 
She also sang Marion in The Music Man. She sang all the music theater rep. Well, then I would say she looking at, at Marion, but even that, like, you kind of need to have classical it. training. Eh, maybe. I don't know what her training was. We could look into that, yeah, too. Yeah, that's true. But the reason I found out about her, I've told you about this before. I don't think I've mentioned it on a podcast, but I did a, a voice lesson last summer with my friend Christy Turnbow, <laughs> who was an undergrad with me at BYU at the same time. And she was a classical singer. Mm-hmm. She was a, a she was majoring in classical voice, yeah. and there was also a music theater department, but she was not part of that. And she has since um, gone on to earn a master's degree in music theater pedagogy, hmm. the first program of its kind at Penn State, and was one of the I think maybe the only member or one of two people in the first graduating class with this degree. Wow. And she now teaches at Boston Conservatory as of this past fall. She started there. Cool. Yeah. And I think and it's it's becoming very hot and many music programs are adding um, the music theater pedagogy master's degree to their programs so that the music theater technique is becoming more and more sort of codified. Mm-hmm. And there's there's more agreement about how it should be approached in a healthy way. Um, but yeah, uh, Christy told me about Barbara Cook, and she said she's amazing because she belts her entire register. Mm-hmm. And when I went and listened to her, I was like, mm, I don't know if I would call that belt. But it is extremely balanced, and it's beautiful. The vibrato is never overpowering, mm-hmm. which that's that's a one of the classic symptoms of imbalance, right, would be when the vibrato is weird. If the vibrato gets your attention, (laughs) it usually means something something is is wonky. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, yeah, um, Barbara Cook. Um, Well, it's interesting, like this idea that she said she belts all the way up. I wonder, you know, sometimes the definition of what belting is maybe is skewed or or just different uh, because there's a certain way of singing where there just there just aren't any flips you know you don't your voice doesn't ever like sort of turn over into the next break. you know there's no break there's no you know there's no register there's no passaggio oh, passaggio no yeah um <laughs> i went to school for this um, <laughs> oh my gosh um yeah the yeah I don't know if, um, because I know that sometimes when we work with our teacher, she will say something about, like you had a lesson with her a couple of months ago where she said, you said, that's belt, or you're like, I'm in my, in chest, and she said, no, not chest. Do you remember that? It was last summer, yeah. Yeah. I do. I remember really well, because we were doing some of the same same stuff yesterday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you were like, mind blown. How is this not what I think it is. And I think it comes down to um, that balancing. Ooh. Yeah. Well, and it's it, what I would insert here too is that I feel like my jazz voice is extremely well balanced. Hmm. And I love to sing with my ukulele. It's my new favorite thing to do that brings my soul so much joy. But I think the balance changes the more power there is there. And so if you want to be a light soprano or a soubrette, then you're going to have a different balancing act than you are if you are a Wagnerian. 
Do you think so? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I, because I, 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 would, I would venture to say no, because I think that it has to do with the capacity of what your voice actually is. Like, because even if you sing, like, it, what is the character of your tone? Like, what is, you know, what are you actually? Yeah, but that's but that's the question. Like, if I'm singing in in different styles, then it's going to be different a different sound. I would never approach opera in the same way that I would approach jazz ever, and it's a different register too. But I would just never. It's just not the same thing. When I sing jazz, it's super speech like funny Valentine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Mm, mm. No. Um, <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah. so that all I'm saying is, uh, what I'm learning with this our new wonderful teacher is that, um, in order to, in order to coordinate things, actually, it's it really is just a question of, of of matching the entire range of the voice of having this vocal line that extends from the, your lowest note to your highest, and, and then and and figuring out yeah. It's a balancing act because each pitch is a little bit different in, in how the, the mechanism operates. But what I'm saying is with, with jazz and the more limited range, um, I don't give a thought technique and everything is perfectly balanced. And that's just something hmm. that was a gift to me. Interesting. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. But when I, when I sing, um, when I sing classically and I want to sing high notes, then, um, this, this is actually where this, the thing I was telling you about earlier, impedance is what she called it, but it's impedance, I think is yeah, how I we say it. An impediment? N- no, it's, I mean, it's from the same root, yes. Um, <laughs> impedance meaning like impeding, it's something that impedes. Yeah. An impediment. An impediment. But it's, the actual technical term is impedance. Oh. And um, there is acoustic impedance, and then I, there was, look, I was looking up, there's also... It's an electrical thing, hmm. actually, that I'm sure the electrical engineers in our vast audience are just <laughs> latching onto that right now like, as oh, I'm talking about it. That <laughs> of course, that makes complete I, sense. So she said it in my lesson yesterday, and I was like, okay, like I had just done something, and she said, that is impedance. And I was like, okay, n- you know, dog ear, we'll look that up later. Yeah. And, uh, and when I, I Googled it and pulled up Wikipedia... And uh, it was a bunch of mathematical equations. And I was wow. like, this is way, way over my head. Way different. So, than what, yeah. But what I under- from what I understand, though, is what she's saying, the more that you sort of reach, and reach can, be, can sound like the wrong word, but when, when everything stays in the pipe and stays vertical and narrow, you really are reaching to find those high notes and... The result is from this impedance, as she calls it, is that the larynx also reaches in an opposite direction, mm-hmm. and so the 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 upward reaching inside um, causes the the larynx to also. It's a stretch. Yeah, like it's a, like, like a, a true stretch. Opposite opposition there. Well, and this is one of the reasons why you know we had this conversation earlier this week, where because we are a culture that wants results, right? And, you know, we go to a lesson and we want to know, what am I getting out of this? Because I'm spending X amount of money. Um, like, 
you know, right now we're talking about process, right? We're talking about, you know, what it takes to, to create balance. But I really love that earlier this week when we were chatting, you know, you were, you know, you had this experience with a student where they wanted you to demonstrate, right? Yep. <laughs> and you were like, okay, here's me demonstrating this thing that I'm asking <laughs> you to do. But like, and, and the thought that came to my mind, like, what was it about that, like, that, that caught you, like, or that made you? So, so it was interesting because this was a, a student who's my same age, or she may be as far as, 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 she may be a year or two older than me, but we were in undergrad at the same time. And she's curious about what I've been up to. And hey, people should be curious because it's freaking awesome work um, that I'm finally doing. But uh yeah, it's, she sort of struggled to do the tools, and that's normal because these tools are, they are their process, they're not result, and they're not the most beautiful noise you're ever going to make. It is noises. Yeah, they're noises. No question. And, uh, and so she wanted me to demonstrate for her how to do it in specific places, and the way that she sort of, it was a little startling. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that she sort of would stop and put me on the spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and I think part of that was just the fact that we had been peers, you know, sure in our education. And so she felt comfortable enough to do that. But I think there was sort of also this grappling for wanting an answer. Right. And wanting a result, wanting, yeah. wanting to see the end product. Well, and, yeah. And also I think because the tendency is, I feel to treat the human voice the same way that you would treat an actual physical instrument that is outside of your body. Mm. I feel like, you know, when, when I saw that amazing Rostopovich cello masterclass that absolutely floored me, you know, the student was playing a passage and then Rostopovich, you know, the maestro was like, may I? And he's the kid's like, of course, you know, hands over the cello. And, and he showed him what he was trying to trying to say but unable to say so he just showed him and you could sort of see how much pressure was on the bow and you could sort of see you know what he was doing with the voice you can't do that you know so it's it's a different thing when someone demonstrates Mm. um a result when you are working on process um but but the voice is never is i until this teacher and until actually these two teachers that i work with like nobody else was able to really show that um, like there are bits and pieces with different people, but, but not, not have enough of a tool set to sort of understand what group of muscles we're working on because it is so finite, you know, it is, I mean, it is, it is so, um, small. It's just, they're just the, these tiny groups of muscles and, you know, the voice is what it's, it's two folds of flesh that, um, are in your throat and that's, you know, and they, and they move back and forth and air moves between them. It seems so simple. Um, and yet all of the, you know, surrounding tissue is so um, easy to, you know, to engage improperly or whatever. And so I, I, I really do feel like it's like um, it's going, it's like going to physical therapy. Like yeah. a voice lesson really should be or to a personal trainer. Yes, going to a personal trainer. Depending on how much you've screwed yourself up to that exactly, <laughs> before that right? point. Yeah, before going <laughs> so to physical therapy. So if you're therapy. injured, then yeah, it's like exactly. physical therapy. But if, if you're, you're just weak, then it's more like exactly. going to a personal trainer. Exactly, then it's going trainer, to a personal trainer. Yeah, because, you know, 
a personal trainer will, you know, they'll, they'll be there. They cheer you on and they say, you know, well, if you move your foot just a little bit this way, it'll be better, you know, and, and, and you could stop them and say, show me your biceps. <laughs> I need to see a hamstring right now. You know, <laughs> like I want to know. Will you, will you flex for me? I want to know <laughs> what's coming <laughs> down the pipeline. Like, yeah. and, and, you know, a, a, I'm sure they'd be like, uh, okay, here it is. See that? Yes, that, that, this too could be yours, you know, if you work hard enough and smart enough. But it'll still be yours. That's, it'll still look Slightly different. different shape. That's yeah, right, exactly. because you are your own person, and mm-hmm. this is your voice. And your voice is the building block of, of genetics and of experience and of your own... It's completely unique, which is one of the reasons why the voice is so incredible. Mm. It's because each one is unique. You know, you hear a certain singer and you're like, I know exactly who that is. Mm-hmm. But it's becoming it's more and more common to hear voices that sound the same. Auto-tune. <laughs> because of auto-tune, right? <laughs> Do you believe? It's like the first auto-tune ever. <laughs> They're still working out the kinks. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little That's right. A little I love sure. Yeah. Um, but... No, but not just auto-tune, but just... Um, Imitating. Yeah, the imitation that is so common, and which is why when someone says, and and understandably so, because we've been raised in a vocal society that has encouraged this to some extent, you know, show me. Mm. You know, show me how, how it should show be. Show me the money. But when, yeah, right? Like, this is the money note. Well, this is your money note. You know, what What will yours be? I mean, hopefully it will be something that is just glorious and whatever. But um, but the process to finding that can... You, you can never be thinking about the goal. You have to be thinking about, about the process because um, you have to get out of your head. Some of the... Love them to death. But some of my dear friends, who I will not name who are not very bright, are incredible singers. <laughs> oh, jeez. Like, I didn't know where that was going for a second. <laughs> I okay. like, what? Okay. Like, some of the most incredible singers that I know are people that are very simple. Yeah. They, they... Don't overthink. They don't overthink. They don't overcomplicate things. And, I mean, granted, there are, there are plenty of, of amazingly talented, hardworking singers that are incredible and that are extremely bright. Like, yes. But for me, in, like, young artist programs or when I was, you know, doing stuff, I'm like, how is it that it's that guy? <laughs> how does that guy have that voice? When it's like, yeah, I'm just going to watch the game after this. Like, you don't need to practice. No, I don't need to practice. You know, or like, don't show up to rehearsals. You know what I mean? Like, just bad performance, like, you know, practices. And yet, nobody cares because the voice is so glorious. And you have to respect the voice to some extent because it's like, you know, a lot of us can't do that. So, I think this goes back to innovation. Okay, cool. Yeah, and these people are the opposite of innovators. So, now we understand that innovators, innovating and innovating are two very separate things. No, I think that when you have... When you have a relaxed approach psychologically to singing, now the physical approach to singing is not going to be relaxed. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a, a misconception. 
certain parts of the body will be relaxed, but they will only relax when the other parts that need to be engaged are properly engaged. Yes. But what I'm saying is these dumb singers, as they're sometimes called, that's in quotes. That's not my, I didn't make that up. People, someone else said that before me. I'm just using it. Did I say it? I shouldn't No, it. it wasn't you. Um, okay. But, uh, so what the dumb singers do, a dumb, and it's not a, it's actually probably a little bit out of jealousy. Maybe that's why they can't. I'm sure. It's hugely out of jealousy. Because they're, yeah. yeah. because it's like, how is it that this guy, and I, I'm sorry, I keep saying guy. I'm like, is, is there a certain person I'm thinking about? Actually, there isn't. I'm, it's just often, I feel like it's, it's, it's often a man. Yeah. Um, well, and men, you know, there are fewer of them, so oh they gosh. get more shots. And oh my anyway, gosh. we I have lots a, of reason I to be jealous. I but. took a screenshot. <laughs> I took a screenshot of this thing that came in my email the other day that listed how many of each voice type applied for something. And it was like, I always joke, I'm like, you know, there were 131 sopranos, like 31 mezzos, like 17 tenors, yeah. like, you know, 24 baritones and two basses. Yeah. You know, and I, I mean, it's just the statistics, like, this is how it is across the board. And yes. it doesn't lie. This brings up another another good point that I, I want to make. I you. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. But I do want to finish the point. Yes. Um, which was simply that I think that this sort of more um, relaxed approach psychologically to singing lends itself to that parasympathetic nervous response, which is the rest and digest. It's like more laid back psychologically I think that can be really helpful and that's what caused that what that's what enables the innervation to occur naturally mm-hmm. um, it's only when we sort of get the deer in headlights and we're like worrying and our brains are just going a mile a minute yes. that's when we get into problems with tension and and yeah and it is it's it's those tiny 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 little little nerves and they're calling the shots they're saying seize up we're in trouble Something bad is going to happen. <laughs> That's right. Buckle your seatbelts, guys. We're going for a ride through the eyeballs because we can't stay down. This is the larynx, you know. <laughs> In case you're wondering, like, who's she, ta- what's she talking about? Like, um, yeah, I, um, I've been thinking about this a lot the last few weeks as I've been working, you know, largely on the separation of my of my larynx from you know as I ascend it's a very common problem right it's like how do you keep that stationary or keep it relaxed but what I've been working on is but that in itself is a result like I've been working on these tiny exercises so that I can just feel that cool air on you know the bridge of my soft palate leading to the hard palate and recognizing just being able to recognize what that sensation is and then later being able to control it and recognizing how how much when i need more what vowels um what vowels have a tendency to try and be shaped with my lips when they need to be shaped on the palate, palate. Uh, bec- and <clears throat> and getting to that place where you where i can recognize that nuance um immediately and and adjust accordingly so i don't know it's it's been an interesting sort of journey and and uh and it's exciting because then it doesn't just feel like a crapshoot yeah because so often it's like you have a you were born with a beautiful gift there are a lot you know many many people are born with this beautiful gift with the capacity 
to become a great operatic singer if they choose to, you know, go down that path. But in order to really develop the voice, you have to know the, your own voice. Yeah. Yeah. And a good teacher will give you the tools to help you investigate your own instrument and understand your own instrument, its strengths, its weaknesses, um, and what exactly you need to do in your own case. I love that. And one thing that our teacher says to me is, in your case... And she tells me very specifically for my voice. And she knows that because I'm, she doesn't want to just teach me it without, without saying that because she knows I'm teaching other people too. And she wants to know this isn't universal. This is something that in your case applies. And I love that. And she's from the very beginning, she's always said, you, you need to be curious and you need to know your own instrument. You need to have your own Bible about your voice. Yeah. Like you need to have a handbook that you've written yourself where you understand hmm. the ins and outs and you know where your pitfalls lie mm-hmm. um yeah i love that anyway um sort of this idea of of what form vocal study should take and i think we both share the same opinion now after many years of vocal study that it is necessary to have a teacher who can teach technique um, there are teachers who can teach many things, including diction for foreign languages and musical styles. Most of them can't play the piano, but they Interpretation. are. Yeah, but they are in effect kind of like vocal coaches, and they'll give you vocal leases for warming up the voice, but never really teach technique. And I would say, we were asking the question earlier what does it take to be a singer? to have confidence in your own skills and to be able to take them to an audition to trick, to sing professionally, what does it take? And is it worth it? Mm-hmm. I mean, and this is a very personal question that everyone has to, has to navigate for themselves. Um, but I would say if you're with a teacher who's not teaching you technique, then no, well, it's not worth it. So the question <laughs> is, what is technique? Because everyone claims to have a technique. You know, you go into someone and they say, all right, we do these exercises and this will build a technique. And it's like, okay, well, yes, that will build a technique. But is it truly a tool set that where if you went in to work with this teacher every day, would they be actually able to build on what they're teaching you? Or did they give you 20 minutes of warm-ups, quote-unquote warm-ups, while you're there? And then you move on to rep, which is not technique. Right. 20 minutes of warm-ups, I think, is a, is a lot. That's more than I think most teachers do. Hmm. I don't know. 20 minutes. I don't know. I find, I find that most teachers will do about a 20-minute warm-up, you know, give you different sort of exercises, and then you move into about 40 minutes of working on, on repertoire. Mm-hmm. And we've been conditioned to think that that is good. And that that's an adequate amount of time right. before going on to rep. And I'm sorry, it's not. Right. Well, and then there's the question of what rep is right for me. And if I can sing all the pitches on the page, does that mean I can sing the aria and the role? Right. Because um, that's the thing is certain vocalises will give you the skills to sing a certain range. But just because the pitches of an aria fall within your range. If your voice is not aligned which most of us are not, and if you don't know the pitfalls of your voice to recognize when it is out of alignment and what tools to use to get it back into alignment, 
if you don't have that information, uh, then you're not ready, I feel like. And I feel like um, you'll know when you're ready. You'll know when the voice is ready. And some people really are ready quite young. Renato Scotto sang Butterfly at like 20. Yeah, she had a naturally... She really had a naturally instrument. aligned voice. And that this is the thing, though. I think, I think we need to change the conversation about a beautiful voice versus an aligned voice. Mm-hmm. Because there Balanced. are many, many beautiful voices that are out of alignment. Mm. You know? Like... And, good point. Right? And and I take it back. Because I feel like when we when we make it about beauty, then we're saying that that that's the end all be all, right? And the fact is so many people have these beautiful, beautiful natural instruments and they just need to be refined. Right? Like and that refining process that is so specific and so small and so tedious, but the dividends of reward are huge because the voice then becomes an actual thing that's hmm. usable. Yeah. Instead of... And you're the captain of it. Yes. Instead of just being like, well, I'm going to breathe. And... <laughs> Well, hope, <laughs> I hope what comes out is Exactly. Good. Like, I mean, I can't tell you how many times, you know, you go to an audition and you're like, well, I did my warm-ups and I've sung this aria 173 times, so it's going to be good. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I know I have it memorized. You know, if they were to say, what does that word mean? I could say, yeah, this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but that isn't the thing, like. You know, you, you want to be able to um, be relaxed in your own instrument and engaged in it in the correct balance. Mm. And that balance is like what you're saying, what a true technique gives you. Yeah. And most people that I have come across are, and are not equipped enough to understand what it takes to teach technique. Yeah. Well, and I think also there are there are different techniques for different types of singing. And what I grew up thinking was was a a a classical sound or a sound suitable for opera was really a music theater sound. My entire range. And it was it was fairly consistent, but it was so hard to go to the top because I was way too forward and spread out of the mouth. My resonance wasn't high enough, mm. and it wasn't until I learned the separation and keeping the resonance much higher that I'm, I'm starting to feel like, oh, now I can sing opera with ease, and the tone I'm producing is actually suitable for opera. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it kind of makes sense. It's like if you if you have the instrument, then the music makes sense for it, mm-hmm. rather than trying to force your instrument into the music without having the technique, you know, without the yes. instrument being trained to be able to do that kind of music. So, a cautionary tale. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's rare that someone should sing Violetta at age 18. Right. Well, so, well it's the butterfly, which is even heavier. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. Kind of. Yeah. It's I different. Mean, yeah, it's I mean, different. Violetta, I'm, yeah. I mean, sempre libera when I say, when yeah. I say that. But, yeah. Um, but, um, but the thing is, like, 
and this is what I wish I could just say to young singers, when you're listening to Callas in her, you know, best times, when you're listening to Freini and you're listening to um, Renato Scotto and you're listening to Tebaldi and to Nilsson and to... Um, Tecanoa. Yeah, Kiri Tecanoa, yeah. You know, when you're listening to them, you are listening to a balanced voice that... You know, whether it took them two years or whether it took them 20 years to find that balance, you are listening to a finished product. Even though, you know, they're balancing it and they're working through it and whatever else, but but they know the instrument. And when you listen to that, I mean, it's, it's like looking at a, a magazine with a, you know, photoshopped, like perfectly silhouetted person and you're like oh they're so you know it's like you know when we're 17 Hmm. we look at those magazines and you're like I wish I looked like that you know I maybe if I lose weight or if I do this or you know if I use that kind of makeup or if I date that dude you know then I'll then I'll be like that and 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 the thing is no like this is something that first of all this is them and it's engineered and whatever so maybe it's not quite an accurate you know I guess what I'm saying is that that was the end result of an entire packaging process, right? Mm. And the same is true for, you know, these recordings that we hear. Um, I I think it's most beneficial, if you can, listen to live performances. Mm. um, Because you will hear mistakes. And you will hear more of what a singer is doing. Um, because when you listen to it on, you know, in a studio recording, there's been such other kinds of sweetening done Hmm. and like changes to it that you, again, are listening to the photo, the, you know, the aural photoshopping of, um, you know, of, of, of this already beautiful thing, but it's still, you know, been messed with (laughs) and, Hmm. and it changes the attainability of what they're of what they they're giving you. Innervation is to me in the simplest sense it's being comfortable in your own skin. Mm. And so the tools help you investigate, understand where that balanced resonance comes from, like where how it happens. And then use the innervation to sort of and you can even fool yourself into into doing it by smiling, which is something that that people teach, like all sorts of teachers teach smiling, totally. right? And or the inner smile too, mm-hmm. inner smile, outer smile, any sort of smiling, it fools you into thinking things are good, we're relaxed, we're happy, whatever. But um, I think that, as you were saying, like trying to imitate someone else or getting in your mind that you want to be like someone else. That's not being comfortable in your own skin. That's right. Right. And so, and so that sort of settling in and that innervation that's going to occur for you to be able to make magic with your instrument is not going to occur until you are comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. The most and the best thing that you can offer this world is to be fully and beautifully who you are. Unapologetically. Yeah. Yeah, unapologetically, but with humility, knowing that it's a process. (laughs) 
I'm not. I didn't say like belligerently. No, <laughs> no and I and and <laughs> and I'm not disagreeing with you. That's true. There's a big difference between, you know, being unapologetic and uh, and belligerent. Unapologetic is one of my favorite words. Actually, it's just been like mm-hmm. the last six months to a year or something. I've been thinking a lot about unapologetic, especially in our art form where everyone's bowing to someone at some point, you know, whether it's the composer or whether it's a conductor or whether it's a, you know, everybody has someone who died. It's supposed to be, yeah, it's supposed to be done a certain way and homage to whoever it is, this, you know, this sacred art form and um, so many specifics and shoulds and shoulds and should nots and comiscrito Mm -hmm. and all this. When I watched that performance of Joyce Donato and Maria Stuarda back in 2013, mm-hmm. the spring of 2013 at the Met, I she was the one on stage who was just like, I am Maria Stuarda, and that was it. That was all there, there was. And I felt like, I mean, not to criticize, but I felt like the other characters on stage were themselves they were worried about this and that and the other thing and I could see that their minds were split in all these directions Mm -hmm. and the thing that was so riveting about Joyce um, was the fact that she was just absolutely convicted like what her character was doing was the only thing that was happening and you know whatever happened with her vocally which was stunning and uh, I've talked about it before I'll talk about it again these cadenzas that go from pianissimo to fortissimo to pianissimo and just lilting and falling and and just so emotional and so so right right there spot on with the emotional context she had nothing to apologize for at any point mm-hmm. And maybe part of it was the character. She was such a strong, you know, Mary Queen of Scots was such a strong, um, strong woman. Maybe that helped actually to uh, a certain extent. For sure. But yeah, I just remember thinking. No, as as um, as women who are often portrayed as the victim, because often are the victim. It's very mm. hard to remember that you know, you are surviving and therefore you must, you know, come from a, from a position of strength in order to be sympathetic at all. If you come from a position of weakness, um, no one, no one wants to, to listen to you. You know, if you're like, please listen to me, please listen to me. No, everyone's like, eh, go away. You know, but if you say, I have something to say and, and I need to say it, you know, that sort of comes back to this unapologetic thing. You know, yeah. having having a point of view, being willing to um, to share it. Yeah, and not thinking in the back of your mind, well, I'm no Mira Lafreni. Yeah, screw that. <laughs> you know, that's right because like, you're not because that's an apology right there. Because she already happened, you she know, did. and she's amazing, and we love her, and she gave what she had, but 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 you're never going to be, and you're not recreating. That's anything. right. Why would you recreate something when when you could make something new, why would you bring something, even though Hollywood's doing this all the time, why yeah. would you... Can we call them up? You know people there, right? Let's call <laughs> them and ask them that question. Oh, I'm I know very why. curious. Oh, you do? Um, yeah. it sells? Why? Because... People love more of the same. It's Diet Coke. Wait, it's regular oh, because Coke. because it's safe. No, it's Pepsi. No, it's it's Pepsi. the same reason why we end up casting people that have a sound that we know and... 
you know, but, but in the end, even though that's quote unquote safe, the safest and the best thing is to be fully yourself, your, your fully balanced self, you know? Yes. So. Yes. And that's your perfect fingerprint that you should leave on the world. Yep. You should strive to. Because it, that's it perfect. It's a, a fingerprint. Mm-hmm. Unique. Ta-da. Ta-da. That's Snowflake. right. That's right. But Although that's print. actually not true, apparently. Snowflakes are not uh, unique? Nope. Apparently. Well, I mean, you know, it happens. And how could what? you say that? They're all unique. I mean, there's going to be are. somebody how who... Could, what? Because they really found two snowflakes that when I they tested so. them before they melted... I'm pretty sure I don't that happened. Any Maybe it was just Facebook lore. <laughs> I'm going to have to Snopes this one. <laughs> <laughs> I still believe that snowflakes are unique. <laughs> you can be your own kind of snowflake. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Okay. Until next time. Dun, dun, dun. dun, dun.